Welcome to the Landmark Apostolic Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and brings impact to your life. Enjoy the message. And um, I just want to uh, take the next little bit, uh, and I'll get to my, my text here in just a moment, and you can open it up if you want. First Samuel chapter 18 is where we'll be. Um, but I, I want to talk to you uh, just from this title today, Weapons of Self-Destruction. Weapons of Self-Destruction. I think all of us um, uh, agree. I think all of us are really striving to live our lives, um, to, to, to do good, to be good, to not really self-destruct. I don't think that's anybody's goal even those who kind of throw caution to the wind and appear to somewhat, you know, throw their lives away. I think deep down, we all want to do good. We all want to be good people. I think we all know that doing, you know, good deeds is, uh, or kind acts to strangers is something that we should do. I think we all know that. We know that to choose, you know, random acts of kindness is a, is a great way to live. Um, and I think deep down, we all aspire to want to um, live our lives out in a way that is good, that people are impacted by it. How many want their lives to make an impact on somebody? You want it to be effective, right? Um, and I, I think we know that that's good for us to do for others. But what's amazing uh, to realize is that it's also a better way to live for you. It's a better way to live for you. Did you know that people who are kind by nature, they end up living longer and and having healthier lives? How? Because it's good for the body. Not to mention that they're just happier people. They are a happier person. There was a few years ago, a study came out, um, and they they took a group of people and they, they, they went out and they had to do, this group of people had to do for a period of time just five things a week that were just nice for someone, all right, without wanting anything back. They just had to do five things uh, a week without, for somebody else, some total stranger, without wanting anything back for it or any attention for it. And they found that those people felt such a boost of happiness as much as 41% on average in their daily lives by just doing five things a week. Now, there's my, my, if my math is correct, there's seven days a week. So you work five, you get two days off. All right, that's a pretty good deal. But five days out of the week, you do something kind for somebody, you know, pay for the person behind you in the drive-thru, you know, after you check to see what they got, right? Right, we're going to be kind, but within reason. Like, oh, there's a minivan back there. I don't really, tinted windows, that's too risky. I'm the, you know, the risk risk reward, you know, there could be multiple passengers. So, uh, so I think we get it that no one, no one, no one needs to like, you know, Bryce, okay, is this the kind thing sermon? Like, is that really a sermon? Like, oh, yeah, do the kind thing sermon. It's like, is that it? You know, be nice. Got it. Yeah, my mom told me that one time. You know, you know, she told me that a few times to be nice. Uh, but, but here's my question. What about when kindness seems crazy? 
What about when kindness feels unwarranted and, uh, and feels wrong? What about that? So here's the question I want to ask this morning. How do we deal with difficult people without becoming a difficult person? How do we deal with people who are ugly, and I mean ugly in their spirit, and not become ugly ourselves? How, how do we do that? And so the perfect person to answer this question for us is none other than King David. Now, in 1 Samuel 18, we're going we're gonna to see part of his story, and, and we know David's story, but this is a chapter that really began to expose uh, him to unwarranted, unfair treatment and difficult circumstances in his life that came as a result of trying to be nice, of trying to be kind. The Bible says after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. and He loved him as himself. Verse 2, from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And whatever mission Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him high rank in the army. This pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. And as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul, he's pretty, he's pretty angry about this. And, you know, he, the Bible says he refra- ref- this refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but with me only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Verse 10 says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul, and he was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he usually did, Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it and sang to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Verse 12 says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. And so he sent David away from him and gave him command over a thousand men, and David led the troops in their campaigns. Now notice it with me in verse 14. Verse 14 says, in everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Now this is quite an introduction, right, to the family that David's a uh, a part of. Now, those of you like who are in the know, the royal family has been a topic of conversation for the past uh, several years because of Harry and Meghan's decision to step away uh, from their royal family duties at the upper levels. And so it, it's kind of wild to see how this whole thing plays out. But the moral of the story, at least for me, is that They're basically like, you can't have your cake and eat it too, all right? They wanted to leave. They wanted to leave the royal family. They wanted to head off Malibu. I don't know where they might be. I think they might be in Canada right now or something, but they wanted to leave. Now, he was sixth in line to be king. Even after leaving, he's still sixth in line. 
I mean, I would think if you were like second in line, maybe like stay around, but sixth in line, I can understand. Like, I'm out, you know, deuces, we'll see you. But, you know, so he's sixth in line, but they left, and the family basically said, you can leave, but you can't take your royal highness title with you. Now, so as they step away from what's all going on, they can't bring the word royal with them. They, they, still get to, they still get to be duke and duchess, but they can't use his royal highness or her royal highness in front of their name. So that's, that's a couple deciding to step away from royalty. This here is David's shocking introduction to the royal family. I mean, pun intended, but not really the royal treatment as one would anticipate here. And so uh, we read as one of the perks of killing the giant Goliath was that he got to marry one of Saul's daughters, which I guess is a great idea until he started to see the family close up, right? I mean, maybe that's an important thing whenever you're entering into a marriage, like let's meet the family. Like the family's important. Would you say amen? So, so, you know, he gets to see the family close up and and he's now, he's, he's stepping into the mansion in Jerusalem and realizing this ain't all what it's cracked up to be. Now, this, of course, you know, isn't, isn't all news to David because, you know, your Bible, he has been serving Saul for a long time, all right? And I think a lot of us maybe don't even realize that before he killed Goliath, David had already had a relationship with Saul. And that's because, and we saw at the end of the passage, and I'm sure there are lots of parts and sections of the scripture that are like, wait, what? What exactly does, what exactly does that mean? So Saul is dealing with a bad spirit, all right, acting like a madman. David is over there playing his harp. So if we back up a little bit, Saul, Saul made a habit out of disobeying God. He made a habit out of dishonoring God dishonoring God, what God told him to do. He was someone who was coasting on his gifts. He was someone who was coasting on his looks, on his charisma, but he never developed character. It was all surface level as we dealt with last week. And that's all we've been talking about, how important it is to get beyond the superficial, get beyond the, some of that you know, skin deep stuff. Just get beyond that. Go past the surface. Develop how we need to develop our soul and develop our heart muscles because, hear me today, God is not lit up by the things that we humans are lit up by. God cares about character. God cares about depth. God cares about integrity. And so the story of Saul, that, that was the story of Saul, and as a result, the blessings of God in his life began to diminish God's hand on his life began to diminish. And as the scripture eventually, and it's frightening to read, it says God's spirit departed Saul. Saul took it for granted. Saul was, Saul was one of the rare few. Saul was one of the elite that got to experience the spirit come upon him. And, and man, did he take it for granted. Saul thought it was always going to be there. And, and, and he thought, worst of all, that it was because of him. That, that, 
He was so great for God to choose him. He was so smart for God to choose him that it was because of what he had and because of he his skill. Now, you have to understand, Saul was a very tall and good-looking individual. He was, he was king material. I mean, when you saw him, you're like, that guy should be king. That guy is amazing. Absolutely, he should be king. Have you ever been around, have you ever been around somebody who so just got their stuff together and maybe they're just so physically fit that you just feel so self-conscious about yourself when you're around them? No? Uh, maybe that's because you're the person who's maybe got it all together. I don't know. But for the rest of us mortals, you know, there's this like such this like self-awareness when I'm around somebody is like, man. And, and it's an interesting thing because that was how Saul was. He stood head and shoulders above every person. He was king material, but also at the same time ugly because he thought he was entitled because God called him to do whatever he wanted to do. And God would tell him to do stuff. And he would cut corners and he would play in the shady gray, gray territory. And eventually it caught up to him. And God warned him and warned him. And then finally God said, look, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and I'm going to give it to someone better than you. I'm going to raise up someone who will follow me with his whole heart, not just his face and his looks and, and enjoy the perks of actually following me. I'm going to raise up somebody who's going to follow me, follow me authentically. Somebody's going to be real. And so that's what we're seeing happen. And as that happened, Saul, he just deteriorated from the inside out. And you and I are warned that this can happen to any of us. And how does it happen? It happens through a little thing called envy. Envy. Everybody say envy. I'm talking about the weapons of self-destruction. The weapons of self-destruction. Envy. Envy. In fact, Proverbs 14 and 30 says this, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but he envy the rottenness of the bones. A sound heart. A heart that is, that is at peace. What is, that, what is that indicating, Bryce? Well, since it, it pits the sound heart as the opposite of envy, it tells me that the soundness would flow then from gratitude with what you have and where you are at in life. So a, a, a sound heart is like, a sound heart is like water that's at rest, that's not stirred up with, I wish I had what someone else had. It, 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 it's not. We're talking about a sound heart, a sound heart that says, I'm content. I have more than I deserve. I'll have all that I ever need, that God is with me. God is for me. God will provide. God, you've been so good to me. That's what a sound heart looks like. That's, that's the kind of spirit that, as Proverbs says, gives life to your body. Life to your body. But what does envy do? Envy rots the bones. Envy rots the bones. It's a, uh, I deserve and I have what uh, I deserve and I have. And, and why did she get that? And why does he have that? And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's not just an issue of I want what you have. But it's also, I don't think that you should have what you have. 
I don't think you should have it. I don't think you're deserving of it. So there's, there's also the opposite side of envy, which is to rejoice when someone falls. To, re, to, re, to rejoice in iniquity when the Bible says love would never. Love would never cause you to rejoice in iniquity. What are we to do? We're to weep with those who weep. We're to rejoice with those who rejoice. But hear me, when you have an envious, rotten to the bone spirit, you're almost taking pleasure in someone else's falling, but weeping when they rejoice. And that's, that's what we see in Saul. He began to lose, visibly lose, what God had promised to him and that ultimately would go to someone else, but he was envious of the fact that he could clearly see that the guy was David, that David was the one that God had picked. Now, interestingly enough, they were connected far before God ever revealed to anybody that or before Saul would ever know that David was going to be the next king. He began to have these horrible moods brought on by his sickness. What was that sickness? It was that inner inside of him, his lack of health inside of his bones because of this envious life that he was living. I want what you have, but even beyond that, you don't deserve what you have. So he's, that's Saul. And so his attendant one day, he's like, hey, maybe we should bring in a musician. Maybe we should, you know, maybe they could play and they could soothe you, you know? And so the command goes out, hey, we need, to, we need to find the best harp player in the land. Now, what's amazing to me is that the word began to spread about, the, uh, uh, about this need for a harp player. And the name that was on everybody's lips as a recommendation was David. Church, long before he was a giant killer, long before he was an epic warrior and, and an amazing king, even before we know about his unbelievable accomplishments as a shepherd, this guy was just a dedicated harp player. We're talking hours put in of practice and work and learning the scales until your fingers have calluses in them so where you can play for a king one day and not have to look down at your notes, but just play. This was David. The Bible actually goes into graphic detail to say that he was the best player around. And so Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, send your son David, the shepherd. And so Jesse responds, sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread and wineskin full of wine. And so David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David, loved him. And David became his armor bearer. And Saul sent word to Jesse saying, please let David remain in my service. I'm very pleased with him. And so Whenever he experienced this tormenting spirit from God that troubled him, David would just play the harp. And then Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. And so this began a period of David's life where he would come and go. He would come and go. He would spend some time with Saul and then he would go back home when he was needed, and where he was needed as a shepherd. It was during one of those such visits back to home when he was taking care of the sheep that we know an animal attacked him and tried to get at the sheep, and he took care of the animal, he took care of the bear, he took care of the lion, and this sort of thing just, this sort of thing just was amazing to know that he's privileged, he's privileged 
He's in a privileged position as the king's armor bearer, but he's also being super faithful back home with his normal responsibilities. He did not let those things slip away. You have to remember, he's already been anointed by God to be the next king. Nobody knows about it except for the prophet Samuel. Came to his house one day and all his brothers lined up and Samuel's like, God's going to pick one of you to be the king. The Lord told me it's at Jesse's house. And so I go. And, and when he saw David's older, older brother, Samuel's inner dialogue is recorded in Scripture and goes, this is, this is our guy. This is definitely the guy. And God's like, bro, do you remember what just happened with Saul? Like, do you remember what happened? Don't pick based on the externals. I've rejected him. He's not king material, even though you think he is. And neither is Tweedledee and Tweedledum and Tweedledumber. And so he's like, man, who is it? So he's like, is there anybody else? You know, and so he's like, I got one. I got one more. And, and they go out and they get David. And Samuel's like, you got one more sons? And his dad was like, I got one more. But he's out taking care of the sheep. And he's like, you know, go get him. We're not eating until he comes in here. Nobody's getting brisket until he comes in here. This is serious talk now, right? So... All these boys ready, lined up for their lunch. And so they go out to get David. David comes, and God says, this is the one. This is the one that I've picked. And so he's already had oil poured over his head. You're going to be the king one day. Now it would be a long time before he gets to be king. And what is David's immediate response? Do you remember? He's like, Dad, are, are we done here? Because those sheep need to be fed. His go-to response is not to expect some special treatment or to think someone else is going to take care of the duties at, at the bottom of the totem pole at home, which would, would be definitely taking care of the sheep. His go-to response was to go back to being a servant, to being a servant, go back to do what God had already had him doing originally. All right, and then after he kills Goliath, which is amazing, right? No one asked him to do that. He's like, "Hey, this guy's making fun of God." Okay, you know what? That's it. I'm just gonna, uh, I'm just gonna go. You're just gonna go. Anybody? You gonna go? You gonna fight him? No, you're not gonna fight him. You know, everyone else like, oh, I got a text. I got to respond to. Oh, my neck hurts. Oh, my back hurts. I, I would, but my back really hurts. And so David's like, "Fine." He grabs his slingshot, and you know the story. And he goes out there, and he takes care of this giant. He's celebrated. He's honored. And yet he still shows up in Saul's bedroom when he needs the harp. And he played for Saul's bad moods. The text says mighty man of war after being made a general. He probably still would have split time to go back to Bethlehem and take care of the sheep if they had just let him. And yet he was still being faithful in the small things. Can I tell you that you will never be exalted over the small things? There's not a place in this journey where you graduate past being a servant. There's not a place in this walk where you graduate where all of a sudden those days are behind you that I'm beyond prayer and I'm beyond fasting, I'm beyond witnessing. No, you never graduate past those things. David stayed faithful in the small things. These are, the, these are the things that Saul would never do. The moment Saul kind of had this hint of royalty on him, it was all glitz and glamour and how can I, how can I be in charge of the people? 
the same sort of thing we saw last week with Absalom. What Absalom was doing, Saul was only focused on the externals. But David cared about his heart. David knew the small things that no one sees were the things that ultimately were going to keep him strong and make him able to withstand successfully the bigger temptations that would come on most occasions. So that's what David did. But, but what's interesting is in, in, in response to his constant faithfulness, constant kindness, you show me one harsh thing that he ever did to Saul. One negative thing that he ever did to Saul. Never in any circumstance do we see David speaking ill of Saul, dishonoring Saul, being defiant, or even having a bad attitude day. He takes care of Saul's giants. He takes care of Saul's daughters, best friends with his son, will not tolerate a negative word to be spoken about King Saul in his audience. He plays the harp skillfully when Saul had his nightmares. And Saul's response to all of that, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. And so if I'm David, I understand, and this is where I'm going with the point of my message, I understand when animals attack me. And I definitely understand when nine-foot-tall, ugly giants attack. I mean, that's what they do. But if I'm David, what do you do when someone who loves you greatly treats you badly? What do you do? Someone you love is being difficult. How do you, how do you handle that without becoming difficult yourself? How do you not become Saul? when dealing with Saul. A few ideas I want to share with you the, on how we cannot become that person. The first one is this. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when it happens. Someone who loves you treats you badly. Don't be, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when in response to you trying to live righteously, people act out against you. Don't be surprised by it. Why? Why, Bryce? Because that's life. That's, that's, that's life in general, life 101. What do I mean? I mean it's a world where people are broken, and, and, and people's broken humanity comes out, and sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Somebody needs to hear that. It has nothing to do with you. Sometimes you're just dealing with people who are just having a bad day. That's it. I think sometimes it's easy to read into things, and you know, but it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with what that person is dealing with, what, what is on their plate at that specific point in time. But then in a specific, specific, I think we need to remember that when we are being exalted, that attracts opposition, right? That attracts opposition. When God has his hand on your life and he's blessing you at work and maybe doors are opening and that wouldn't have opened otherwise because you're just pouring yourself into it and you're really, you're, you're praying. And I would just encourage those of you, before you go into work, give a prayer to God for wisdom. Give a prayer to God for wisdom. The Bible says if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And what a difference that makes on the job. What an incredible 
competitive advantage you have to have the wisdom of God coursing through you at work and to know how to navigate the difficulties of your boss's dynamic and to know how to serve in such a way with the right spirit. Do you know that's possible? Why? Because there's something different within you. I mean, here's a wild idea. I mean, when you're at work, do what you say you're going to do, right? I love what Dave Ramsey says. Hey, work while you're at work. Wow. That makes total sense, Dave. (laughs) Work while you're at work. Do what you say you're going to do. You're there to do something. Just do it. And you just watch as that sets you apart from so many other people. Having a right heart, having a right spirit, never talking behind someone's back, always doing more than you say you're going to do, showing up early or on time, (laughs) using manners, be presentable. I, I love the, you know, don't dress for the job you have, dress for the job you want. I'll, I'll take your silence as this is good. Always do more, show up, be on time. When you, when you just have that kind of a spirit about you, when you have that, folks, that's in rare supply. So many people, they're not there. They make excuses. They, they, they're, they're dishonest. So when you just live a life of integrity and kindness and you're professional and you think things through and you take the initiative and you come up with ideas and you don't care who gets the credit, and you're not always pointing fingers, well, so-and-so did that, and so-and-so, no. Just show up, be presentable. Have Altoids in your pockets ready to go. I'm just saying, people with good breath, they make it. They make it. That was free. David, successful in everything he did. Successful. And the Bible says that, just successful in anything he did. Need someone to take care of sheep? I can do that. Whatever you need, I can do that. You need someone to play music for the king? I can do that. David's do that best. He's like, well, I got a thousand soldiers that need led into battle. I can do that. The giant's talking smack about God over here. I'll I'll go kill him. I'll go take care of that. I just love that kind of heart. The right spirit. But let's be prepared because when that starts working, the sharks start circling. All of a sudden, jealousy emerges. Don't don't be surprised about the attacks. Don't be surprised that the the, the attacks that come when you decide to live differently. Don't be like, what? What? I didn't even even see this coming. Like, where does this coming from? Like, you almost have to go into it knowing if I'm going to be a Daniel, if I'm going to be a David, if I'm going to be an Esther, if I'm going to live as though I have God's spirit and blessing on my life, it's going to open doors and all this stuff. There's going to be people who rise up and say, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? And actually organize That's what happened to Daniel. People organized the tax to try to bring him down because he was the king's favorite. And so you have to know, like Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at these fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. The more God does in your life, the more the enemy and the other enemies will be attracted to you. So don't be surprised about it. Don't be surprised about it. Second thing, don't be spiteful. Don't be spiteful. Now, I will say this is the hard one. 
First one, kind of easy, right? Don't be surprised. Check. We can do that. Don't be spiteful. Oh, pump the brakes. Bryce, you serious? Call for the music. Let's get out of here. Don't be spiteful. Don't be spiteful. It's really hard, but, 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 but we can't do it. And to, to quote Peter again, we must not return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were, and I love this, called to this. You were, I love that, to call to this, to what? To not, to not fight back, but to bless back. That you may inherit the blessing. Because how do we get the blessing? We give one. Oh. How do we get help? We give kindness. So he said, you've been called to this. Called to what? To receive blessings that come by not reviling when you feel like it, by not stinging when you have the opportunity, by not taking the knockout punch when you know you can. Because when you're down that road, there's only dust. I just want to tell somebody that. There's only dust down that road. There's a self-destructive nature to lashing out. So it may work. I mean, it may work, and it may even feel good in the moment, but I'm telling you, when you go down that road of lashing out and being spiteful, you might as well dig two graves because it's going to be self-destructive. It's going to be harmful. It will harm you. I guess what I'm trying to say is for David to kill Saul, he would have become Saul. And life presented many opportunities for him to kill Saul. But David didn't want to harm Saul. He wanted to bless him. David says, I refuse to lay my hand against the one who God has called. He could throw a spear at me. I shall not return fire. I will not throw the spear back at him. And David didn't become spiteful. All I'm trying to get you to see is he did not return fire. When the spear was thrown, he avoided the opportunity to become Saul 2.0. And because David, he didn't see things like Saul saw them. Well, that's a tongue twister. Saul saw. Here's what Saul saw. You want to tell me what Saul saw? He's seen this. Pray for me. But Saul... Saul only saw it, man, did not think these notes through. He saw it for the prestige that he could have and the blessing he could have. His eye became totally skewed. I mean, that's what our text says. We read it together. He, He began to eye David from that day forward. The actual Hebrew could break it down this way. He began to see David only through the lens of envy the lens of envy, the weapons of self-destruction, envy. It's like putting glasses on that causes everything you see to be skewed, to be skewed. You're not seeing what's really there. You're seeing something different through a different lens. So we have to be careful how we see things and how we choose to read into things, all right, and how we choose to fill in the thought bubbles above people's heads. This is what the Bible calls and talks about assuming the best, not the worst. Assuming the best and not the worst. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes our knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, I know they're not up to no good. I know. I know. We fill in those thought bubbles, and we just, anytime we assume, we always assume the worst. But love, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't default to evil. Love doesn't default to you probably meant it by this, and this is how you said it, and blah, blah, blah. Love defaults to sweetness. Love defaults to not becoming spiteful and jaded 
Jesus put it this way in Luke 11. And I read from the message version. He says, your eye is like a lamp. It lights up the whole body. If you live wide-eyed in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. But if you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body becomes like a musty cellar. I mean, how vivid is that? Because how do you see life? How do you see life? Are you just always waiting to be wounded and hoping to get, uh, hoping to get hurt or not hurt and wanting to be left out? I mean, that's just going to lead your life to becoming small and possessive and territorial like a dark cellar, like a musty cellar. But what a wonderful thing it is to live wide-eyed and wonder. Wide-eyed. And you know what? What a way to live that that God's good and people are good. And and you know what? I know that there's going to be hard things, but I believe God. I believe God. That's a better way in my mind. That's a way better way. Let's live life in a wide-eyed wonder. I don't want to live a squinty-eyed with distrust and always picking apart other things and they're probably wrong and they're probably bad and they deserve that and they don't deserve that and, 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 and all of these horrible things and they probably root for the Packers and, you know, stuff like that. I don't want to live that way. Let's rise above that. Live well. I mean, that's the, best, that's the best thing that you could do is just to live well. Live well. Disarm the enemy. Don't stoop. Don't stoop to play at their level. And third thing, I'm going to hasten to a close here. Don't become bitter. Don't become bitter. Don't become... And, and this is the tension. This is the tension because at first, don't be surprised. Okay, not to be surprised. Factor, you have to factor in a certain level of disappointment, right? But how do you do that while at the same time not being jaded how every how you see every interaction? What is that? That's called tension. It's a, it's, it's a tension to manage, and so we have to know that. You have to almost like build an end to, to the plan. Like I know there's going to be times where I'm going to get hurt, I have to factor that into the equation, but I'm not going to allow it to keep me from entering into relationships. I'm not going to let the fact that my heart was hurt one time cause me to not be vulnerable to you. I love in the text, Jonathan said, David, here's my bow. Here's my armor. God's God's hand is on your life. So guess what? I'm going to expose my weakness to you by taking off my armor. It it, it was a symbol of covenant friendship where he was saying, I'm not going to keep up this pretense. I'm not going to keep up my, he said, I'm going to lay myself low and expose myself. I'm going to basically make myself vulnerable in friendship to you. You see, a friendship can't, it can't happen where there's not that taking down of defense mechanisms or letting you see who I really am or, you know, not just who I pretend to be. And so that's how friendship is formed, by vulnerability being cultivated. But it's easy to get hurt and get bit and, and then be twice shy and reluctant to ever expose who you really are to people. 
So my prayer is just, Holy Ghost, help us to not become bitter by the hand, by the hard things that we face, but to still have sweetness. Don't be bitter. Another thing, don't be naive. Don't be naive. We are, yes, going to be vulnerable. We're not going to be naive. What is, what is that again, Bryce? That's tension. Welcome to relationships, right? Welcome to life. Tension. Not being naive means David standing there and Saul throws the spear. And what does David do? He didn't stand there and let the spear get planted in his heart. He ducked when he needed to duck. He got out of the city when he needed to get out of the city. He hid in a cave when he needed to hide in a cave. And guess what? Remember the story where he had his water jug and the spear on top of the mountain? And Saul says, I'm sorry, David. I, I love you, son. Come down. Come down. We'll be friends like we used to. You can, you can play your harp again in my room and like you used to. And we'll be friends again. And we'll go to war. David's like, I'm, I'm not coming down. You can, you can send someone up, but I honor you, king. I, I will serve you. I will never lay my hand against you, but I can't be in the same room with you because I don't trust you. I forgive you because you asked for it, and I love you, and I will bless you, but, bro, we are way past frolicking to the sound of music in the field. We're way, we're way past that. See what I'm saying? He never blasphemed the king. He never dishonored the king, but the king had lost trust. So, so when we say don't be naive, we're, we're saying not all consequences are instantly go away, right? Not all punishment is instantly go away. We're saying we can't be bitter. We, we, we can give forgiveness. We can't be spiteful about it, but that doesn't mean that at times there have to be boundaries. It doesn't mean that at times there has to be a loving no that is said. It's, it's not loving to allow someone to sin against you. It's, it's not. And so there comes a time and the Spirit will lead you in, in good leadership and a good counsel and your life will steer you in making those difficult decisions. That's why we need good counsel. That's why we need a shepherd. Right? So don't be naive. And if you'd stand with me very quickly, I end with this. Don't stop. Don't stop, which is, which is what I'm sure you're saying as I tell you I'm almost done. You're like, don't stop. Just keep going. Just keep preaching. We love it. <laughs> don't stop. And what I mean by that is I love that David, he, he just never gives up. <laughs> David, never, he just never gives up. Well, fine then, you know, it's like, is that how you treat your friends, God? Oh, you anoint me with oil. And then I almost get killed by the guy who I'm supposed to come into his office afterwards and do this job. Right? But there's never a trace of that on David. 
There's never a sense of, you know what, God, call someone else. There's never a sense of, it's just too hard and I give up. In David's life, there's this just continual willingness to keep showing up. To just keep showing up all the way to the end. So everything David did, bless God, and David just continued to do it and continued to succeed and just continued to show up. Shown up in relationships, shown up for Jonathan as best he could. He showed up for Saul. And you really see that there was no envy in David because envy ultimately, it starts out, it weeps when they rejoice, but it ends with rejoicing when they weep. Talking about something that is self-destructive. Something if left unchecked in your life can ultimately destroy you to the point where you weep when people rejoice. You rejoice when people weep. But when Saul ultimately is killed, David's response is to weep. He says how the mighty have fallen. There, there's no sense of I saw it coming. I saw it coming. You know, if we're not careful, that can spring up in us. Like, oh yeah, I saw that coming a mile away. He got what he deserved. It wasn't in David. I'll tell you what was in David. There was a weakness. There was a brokenness in his heart because he really did love Saul. And he really loved Jonathan. And he didn't stop following God's call, no matter what it cost him, no matter how hard it was for him. Even when his own son rose up against him, he didn't stop. And you know what? Those good deeds that we talked about, that doing good for other people, they make a difference. They made a difference in David's life. You and I live in a day, we live in an era when there's going to be hard pushback to the beautiful things that God has called you to do. I say we do those good things anyways. I say we still stand for what God wants and we still seek after the will of God and we still seek after the counsel of God and we still ultimately want to accomplish what God's will is for this church, for our personal lives. There's going to be pushback on it, but don't stop. Don't stop. Do them anyways. Would you lift your voice with me right now? Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those that give generously to this ministry. If you would like more information, please visit our website at landmarkapostolicchurch.net. But have a great day and God bless.